Good evening, church. It's great to be here. Again, good to see all of you here this evening. And um, sermon outline should be uh, behind us on the board. Theme of our message tonight is what we provide as a church. Our text is Matthew 16, uh, 18. I could have uh, picked a lot of different verses here, but uh, I just grabbed this one. This one was familiar and on my mind uh, from our studies recently. Matthew 16, 18 says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Jesus tells Peter and the apostles here that he's going to build his church. Uh, this church that we are a part of is his church. You know, as I sit here and uh, hear the phone ring, and uh, sometimes when I'm here in days and answer the phone, pick it up, uh, a lot of times people are on there and they want to know about the church and they usually tell me they're new in town and uh, they're looking for a church and they want to know what we provide as a church. You know, most of the time these people hang up after a few minutes after I talk to them because they become disappointed in my answer to them. And uh, we apparently don't provide what these people are looking for. You know, we... We provide and establish certain criterias for many things that we look for in life. Boys, they dream of a, a fancy car or some type of vehicle or what they want to do with it when they're young. Girls, they dream of a wedding and uh, having the perfect wedding and the perfect house and marrying the uh, perfect gentleman. Men dream of uh, maybe having the perfect wife or perfect job. And again, a lot of people, they dream of having that perfect job and uh, living in their favorite state, maybe their favorite climate. If they like hunting, they want to be in that kind of state and area. If they like warm weather and swimming and going to the beach, they may want to go to Florida and whatnot. But everybody has something, key elements in their life of certain things that they're looking for. When we think about what we provide as a church. And as we pose this question, let's consider a few things tonight. First off, what are many looking for in a church family? You know, some are looking for the biggest church in town. They want to just get lost in the crowd and, and all the people. They may want to get involved with the, the mega church. You know, maybe like the Saddleback Church which is a Baptist, evangelical, multi-site megachurch affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention located in Lake Forest, California. It's the largest church in California and one of the largest in the United States. The church has several campuses in California and also around the world. Weekly, their church attendance is 23,494 average attendance in 2020 and their senior pastor is Rick Warren don't you want to go there or maybe they want to go to the mega church like Lakewood Church started in 1959 by John Olstein 
And his son, Joel, and daughter-in-law, Victoria, are the older pastors. Woo, that ought to throw up a red flag for us if we know anything about the Bible. Uh, his son and his wife are the pastors of the church there. Lakewood churchgoers, they're meeting in the Houston Rockets soccer arena in Texas. This evangelical, non-denominational Christian megachurch has a weekly average attendance of 43,500 people. Joel was one of the most prominent televangelists on the planet. He's also authored a set of best-selling books. Joel's uh, net worth is estimated at over $40 million. He's been commended for encouraging wealth theology. Hmm, I wonder where that is in the Bible. Which contains a focus on material gain. Hmm, wonder what book and chapter and verse it tells us that we ought to be concerned about material gain and uh, wealth theology. Well, maybe if you don't like those and their false doctrines, which we'll talk about in a moment here, maybe you'll like the church located in Edmond, Oklahoma which has an average weekly attendance of 30,000 people. It was founded by Craig uh, Groeschel in 1996. Life Church currently has locations all over the nation, in addition to an active internet community. It's a component of the Evangelical Covenant Church, which upholds core evangelical Christian beliefs. Services include refreshments, rock music with lyrics displayed on screens, and the church's complimentary Bible app was downloaded over 200 million times last year. You want to go there, don't you, Josh? Yeah, I could see you getting excited. You know, look at what these churches, they have to offer. Woohoo! It's a shame that these mega churches make up their own belief for salvation. They all teach an altar call at the end of their services where people come and maybe they ask Jesus into their heart or maybe they say the sinner's prayer. Again, things that aren't found in the Bible. The sinner's prayer cannot be found anywhere in the New Testament scriptures. The scriptures do tell us what we need to do to become a Christian. These people, they all like to call themselves Christians, if you notice there too. But the Bible tells us how we can become Christians, and it's by being obedient to the different terms of pardon, which are presented there in the book of Acts. First, an individual must, uh, to be saved, must hear the word. Then they need to have that active faith, believing in what they've heard, and act upon it. And this leads them to repenting. Then it should lead them to confessing Christ as their Lord and their Savior. And then submitting to water baptism, where according to Acts 2.38, they receive the forgiveness of their sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And once they become a Christian, then they need to faithfully, uh, until death, lead a, a faithful life to receive that crown of life. You know, it's also a shame that these mega churches totally forget about personal accountability. You see, they go to these churches just to 
get their needs met and what it can do for them. You see, but they forget what the Bible teaches that Christianity is about. James 1, 26 and 27 says uh, this, if anyone thinks himself to be religious, yet does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart. I wonder how many of these people bridle their tongue or if they're swearing and cussing and taking the Lord's name in vain. You see, this person's religion is worthless if they don't bridle their tongue. Also, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and fathers this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Hmm, I wonder if they're doing that. wonder if they're visiting orphans and widows and people that are in distress. Galatians 6, 1 through 10 tells us this about our personal accountability in religion. Brothers and sisters, even if a person is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual are to restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you're not tempted as well. Bear one another's burdens and therefore fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work and then he will have reason for boasting but to himself alone and not to another. For each one will bear his own load. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Let's not become discouraged in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not become weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let's do good to all people, especially to those who are in the household of faith. Here's a lot of different things here. I'm not going to comment on, on each of them, but you can read there what it says again in Galatians 6, 1 through 10. And look at all the personal accountability, the, the personal responsibility that we have, not just running into the church, seeing what you can get, and then running out and having no pure and undefiled religion during the week. You know, we do not need to go to some mega church with thousands of people attending. Just because you have a lot of people attending does not mean that you're teaching the truth. And that should throw up a red flag because the Bible says uh, the broad way, the way that everybody's on, that they're not going to make it. We ought to be looking for the narrow way, the, the, the way that's truth and what's right. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 20, where there are two or three gathered together. Oh, I mean, uh, uh, 45,000 people. You see, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'll be there too. God would want a church with a few people if they're preaching and teaching true New Testament Christianity, other than having thousands and thousands there um, that aren't hearing the truth. You see, these people looking for the megachurch complained, saying, you don't have enough young people, or you don't have enough senior citizens, 
or you don't have enough get-togethers, or you do not provide daycare for my babies. Maybe they say you don't have a food cupboard or a clothing ministry. We have those things that we provide here. But maybe the list goes on and on and on of things that they, they don't, we don't have that they're looking for. These people are not looking for the truth of the Bible being preached to. They are not looking to please Christ, but only looking to get their needs met. Once you stop the handouts or meeting their needs physically, they're gone and they go down to the next megachurch. You see, many are also looking for entertainment. People want to go home feeling good. They don't want to be challenged and convicted and stirred up to live right. Maybe they just want to hold hands and turn the lights down low. They don't want to be taught. They don't want to be challenged. They don't want to be told that they need to stop sinning and live right and stay on that straight and narrow way. You know, the New Testament church was not in the entertainment business. The church of the first century provided these essentials, though. Uh, they came and worshipped in spirit and in truth, according to John 4.24. Uh, Paul told the Ephesians in Ephesians 5.19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your hearts to the Lord. They came together and praised God and worshipped and encouraged each other with the psalms. And Acts 2.42 tells us that they continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were continually in God's word. They wanted to learn. They wanted taught. They wanted their teachers to teach them something. That's what you're paying me for, to teach you. That's why I sit in my office from the time I come in till the time I leave, unless I'm answering the phone or going to the bathroom, studying God's word. That's what the teacher does. The people in the pew don't know everything. They need taught. They need to be able to continue on steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, that partnership to, with one another. And the breaking of bread, the definite article was there, the, the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper they're going to be taking. We do that every time we meet on the Lord's Day, not on Wednesday nights or Tuesdays or home Bible studies or whatever. And to prayer. Prayer's put in the back room. No, prayer's important. That's our power to God. That's getting into the throne room of God. Praying and talking to God and letting Him know what's on our hearts, on our minds, what we need. We need to be praying. Many are looking for a good preacher. According to their standards. One that makes you laugh with their jokes and cries in the same sermon. I wonder, would they have liked Moses? Exodus 4.10 says, Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I'm slow to speech, slow to tongue. Here, Moses wasn't the most eloquent person, but he did God's word and spoke God's word. I wonder if people would like Moses as their preacher. I wonder if they'd like Paul. 
In 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, it says, And when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I didn't come to you as someone superior in speaking ability or wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I also was with you in weakness and fear and in great trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but to dem- in demonstration of the Spirit and power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Paul also, he came and said, I never came in any su- superior speaking or ability or a wisdom. He came wanting to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He came in weakness and fear and trembling, knowing that he's going to stand before God and have to give an account for what he's teaching and what he's saying, what he's doing. He didn't just come with persuasive words of wisdom. You know, many are looking for social activities. They want a fitness club with a little bit of scripture thrown in. Many churches, they boast of their softball, their volleyball, and their basketball teams. They want a ladies' slimnastics course and lessons on dieting and a little bit of prayer on the side. When these folks, they come to your building, they're looking for a gym and a sauna, a dining room, a coffee shop, a lovely shaded area for family picnics. They want walking trails and bike riding trails. You know, the heroes of the faith Hall of Fame in the Old Testament that are commented about in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 37 and 38. Look what it says about them. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. People whom the world was not worthy. They were wandering in deserts, on mountains, on sheltering in caves and in holes of the ground. You see, they wandered in deserts and in mountains and lived in dens and lived in caves of the earth. Why? Because they were doing God's will and His work. The early church had to do the same thing, don't we see, in history. In history, we see the Christians of the first century, they had to meet in caves and in tombs and in the catacombs. They would go house to house and meet. Jesus even said to him in Matthew 8, 20, foxes have holes and birds have have the air, have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You see, so it shouldn't just be about all about social activities and what we have. You know, many people, they're looking for social contacts. Some want to meet the right people for their business or to get gainful employment or they're looking for a boyfriend or they're looking for a girlfriend. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 22, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. We're going to be hated by people if we're teaching and preaching the truth and what's right. The New Testament church It had former prostitutes, drunkards, homosexuals, adulterers, thieves, drug users. According to 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, man, who would want to go to a church like that that had those former people there? 
Paul told the Galatian Christians that there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slaves. I'm not going to a church where there's a slave, nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one. Galatians 3, 28. You see, we need to come together. It doesn't matter what our color is, what our nationality, whatever our tongue is. We want to come. Why? Because we all have the same blood pumping through us. We all have, have an eternal soul, and we want all of those souls to be able to go to heaven. Peter recognized that in Acts 10, 34 through 35. It says that he opened up his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. You see, people call, asking all kinds of things of what we provide. And you know what I tell them? I tell them we're a non-denominational church that believes the scriptures. And this is what we need to do to be saved. And here's some things that we provide. Classes for all ages. And we have activities and we do things. And a lot of times people say, hey, I'm going to come check you out. But a lot of times people are like, no, that's not what I'm looking for. You don't provide a daycare. You don't provide this, that, or the other. That's not why we ought to come to the assembly. We ought to come here for some of the reasons why Christ provides in his church. Secondly, what does Christ provide? He provides freedom from sin. You see, Jesus saw sin as what it really was, a cruel taskmaster. It will make you its slave. And he wanted to be able to break those chains of slavery of sin in our lives. John 8, 31 through 36 says, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you're truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and we've never been enslaved. We never were enslaved in Egypt. We never was taken into Assyrian captivity, the ten northern tribes. We were never taken into Babylonian captivity, uh, the two southern tribes. We were never harassed and punished by Antiochus Epiphanes during the time of the Maccabeans. We were, were, even now, we have free reign to do whatever we want to. The Romans aren't really in charge of us. People say what they want. They said, we're descendants of, of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anybody. What a lie. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin. Who commits sin? Everybody. Everybody sins. <clears throat> everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Now the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you, will, you really will be free. You see, Jesus, he can set us free. Really set us free from our sins. So that they don't have mastery and control of us. And where we're habitually, willfully doing these things day in, day out. You know, sin, it separates us from God, according to Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. 
Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your wrongdoings, your sins, have caused the separation between you and God. Our wrongdoings, our sins separate us from God, Isaiah said. Your sins have hidden his face from you. We want God's face looking at us. We want him to hear our prayers, answer our prayers, and be watching us. We don't want to be sinful and have him looking away from us. That's not good. We don't want that separation. Jesus, he implores us to come to him. He provides that for us. Matthew eleven twenty eight and 30 says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is comfortable, my burden is light. Why? Because he carries that burden for us. He went and took our sins and paid the price for them on Calvary. And he wants us to come to him. Be those people that he wants us to be. He wants to provide us freedom from our sins. Break those chains so that we have control of our lives and not those sins driving us. Christ provides a way of life. A way of holiness, according to Isaiah 35.8. He provides the narrow way for us. Matthew 7.13-14. He provides a way of service for us where we can serve him. Where we can tell others how they can have their sins uh, chained broken in their lives, how they can be saved and be a Christian and a Christian only according to the New Testament scriptures. We have a way of peace. We have peace with the Father. We should have peace with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we ought to try to go out in the world and make peace and be peaceable people. We know some, it's hard to be able to do that, but we ought to try. And we ought to be able to share God's word with them. You know, Christ provides us citizenship in his kingdom. Jesus came to establish his kingdom. John the Baptist was preaching out in the wilderness and he said, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 14, 17, Jesus began preaching and said, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Paul told the Colossians in chapter 1, 13 and 14, He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see, he has a kingdom and he's transferred us out of the evil kingdom of the world when we accept him and do what the scriptures say. And he's transferred us into his kingdom, the kingdom of his beloved son. And he's given us redemption. The forgiveness of sins. Why? So that we can have that peace and relationship with God to make it to heaven. Philippians 3.20, Paul said, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord, Jesus Christ. We ought to eagerly be waiting for the second coming. And that time when we'll be able to go and be with him in heaven, where true life is, real life. That's where God is and Jesus is and the saints that have gone on before us. They're in heaven. 
Christ provides us with an eternal home after this life. Heaven is the home of the redeemed. He told his disciples in John 14, 1 through 3, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, I would have told you. Because I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm coming again. And will take you to myself. So that where I am, there you will be also. Matthew 13, 43 says, Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of the Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Someday we're going to be able to shine forth in that eternal home, heaven. He's gone to prepare a place for us, and he's coming back to take his church, his people, back to that place. These are wonderful things that Christ provides for us and that we should look for if we would ever move from here and go to another church. If they don't teach those things and preach those things, I wouldn't go there. Those are just some of the basic things. I wouldn't go there if they didn't preach the plan of salvation or didn't take communion on the first day of the week. So on and so forth. Thirdly, what should I look for in that church that I may be thinking about intending? Well, I would first off be looking for a church for which Christ died. He died for mankind. Died that we could have the forgiveness of sins. That he was the Lamb of God that died to take away our sins. I would also look for a church that was like-minded because they were based upon the Word of God. And I didn't have to think about their opinion or what they thought or whatever. But we could just go to the word. And because it said book, chapter, and verse for this, that, or the other. We could believe it and be united upon the word. That's why he gave us this. Philippians 2, 1 through 5 says, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit... If any affliction and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have their attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ. You see, we need to find like-minded souls that are based upon the Word of God, having that same mind, that same spirit in their teaching. And if they're not lining up with the Word, then again, I, I wouldn't go to that church. I do not believe that's Christ's church. It should throw up all kinds of red flags to you and you ought to avoid attending that church. And also, I would want to find people who are content by being Christian only. Some of those megachurch examples that I gave to you, they tell you, each one of them, when you get on their websites and you punch in there, what are the biggest churches out there today? You're going to get these churches. Uh, I got lists of eight, lists of ten. And I saw these three, and I thought, ah, oh, I heard of this guy, Olstein, and some Rick Warren. I'll, I'll plug these in the sermon here. 
you see. I don't care how many people they got going there. I don't care how many books they wrote. I don't care how many millions of dollars they have in their personal bank accounts. And if they think they can teach and preach that and everybody's going to be able to have the same. Okay, the Bible doesn't teach those things that they're important. I'm told that these things of this world are, are going to, uh, the moth is going to eat them. They're going to rust. They're going to decay. Someday this world and everything in it's going to be burned up when the Lord returns, according to Peter. You see, I want to make sure that I'm ready and prepared to go to heaven and to be a Christian only, according to the New Testament. These people belong to the Baptist church or the covenant church. Well, why aren't they called the covenant church? You know, instead of saying that we're Christians, and we can do that with so many, or the Baptist uh, group. Well, then you're a Baptist. You're not a Christian. So on and so forth. The early church, they were called Christians only. Acts eleven twenty six says, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. I wouldn't go to a church that had some other name. They might want to, again, call themselves Christian, but they're not. I remember when I joined the Navy and I'm sitting there and they're making my dog tags. I had an argument with the guy making my dog tags and also the, the chief that he brought. I had the whole room in a stir. They were fighting with me and arguing with me. You're a Protestant. You're a Methodist. You're a Catholic. Pick one. I said, I'm a Christian. I go to the Christian church. We're all Christians. We're going to kick you out of here. You know, I'm like, no, you're not all Christians. If you're a Baptist, you're a Baptist. If you're a Methodist, you're a Methodist. If you're a Catholic, you're a Catholic. You're not a Christian. And I argued with him and fought with him. And the guy started typing and doing stuff. And he gives me my dog tag and he put Christ on it. <laughs> uh, it was um, not funny at that time. It was very upsetting to have to deal with, with people like this. But that's how people in the world are. People that are your fellow co-workers and your student, uh, maybe students that uh, you go to school with and so forth, your neighbors. They're going to say, well, we're all Christians. No, we're not all Christians unless we've done what the New Testament tells us to do. And I wouldn't go to a church I don't care what they may provide or give people or do if they don't wear the name of Christian and Christian only. In conclusion, we're about 2,000 years removed from that church that Christ established on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And I punched in Jerusalem to Pittsburgh. How many miles? It popped up a little less than 6,000 miles. So we're about 2,000 years around 6,000 miles removed from that church that was established there in Jerusalem in Acts 2. That church does still exist today. There are people trying to be that church and follow the scriptures and have book, chapter, and verse for the things that they believe and looking at the examples of what that church did and trying to follow them. Do you belong to the church that Christ died for? And he's returning for? If you have not been obedient to God and accepted his only begotten son's sacrifice on the cross of Calvary, why not now before it's too late? 
Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, as it says there in Acts 8, 37? Will you confess him before men at your conversion and then every day that God grants to you before you meet him? Matthew 10, 32. And will you repent and be baptized, immersed for the forgiveness of your sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, as Acts 2.38 says? And then after you're converted, after you become a Christian, will you then live a faithful life until the end to receive the crown of life, as Revelations 2.10, part D of that verse says. We're going to be standing and singing a hymn of invitation this evening. And if you're ready now to make this decision, and you have never made this decision before, again, please come. The waters are warm. We can throw the covers off the baptistry. We have robes for you to be able to put on. We can take your confession, take you back, and baptize you into Christ in a matter of minutes if you need to do that.